Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. First of all, I'd like to thank Lauren Williams for suggesting this quote to the show. An athlete is a mindset. It's how you prepare, think, and execute. Not because of some elite status or physical stature. Anybody can be an athlete. By Chris Hart. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Matt Miscannon. Matt is a high school French teacher who also works as a semi-professional soccer referee in the US, all levels under first division in the MLS. He's married with two boys. Uh, two, one is two and a half years old and one six months old. And he's passionate all about sport and enjoys all forms of exercise. So Matt, welcome onto the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Obviously, I'll start this introduction slightly differently to some of the episodes in the past because you and I have known each other, gosh, um, since I knew you as a, as a probably a preteen. Because um, you, yeah. our family. To give some context to the listeners, both our families were stationed on the same military base, say r- roughly twenty years ago. Yeah, roughly. Actually, going on twenty five years ago now. Okay. Uh, I believe. I believe we we got over there in nineteen ninety five. And uh, and then we stayed four years, so we returned back to the states in '99. So yeah, you know, a little bit more than 20 years now, which is crazy to think about how much time has gone. You know, yeah, since since lot, that time, it's a long long time. And obviously, to, to put a little bit more of a anecdote on that, obviously I went to to it was in the same grade as your sister, so right. I'm very I knew your older brother as well because uh, um, obviously we were talking about soccer, but our families did tempo and bowling absolutely the back in the day and that's one of the i think off the top of my head would be one of the sports i ever did competitively before i went on to my trajectory that obviously most people listening to the show know if you don't obviously i went on to i don't want to blow my own trumpet but obviously represent (laughs) my country at a a high level uh, of of the paralympics but did i did i know 25 years ago that would have been the case. Obviously, you and I both, probably your brother and sister, had aspirations coming from very sporty families to want to do very well in sport. Absolutely. But to kind of put it, to say that I ever envisioned doing that, it's probably a dream or sure, sure. A fantasy, but not a reality. So to be able right. to live a, the childhood ambitions is probably a good one. So but obviously, coming back to you, Matt, how did you transition from obviously doing temping bowling to then go on and to, do, to 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 go from obviously playing the sport to then going on to referee in in from that instance. So it was it was quite interesting for me getting into uh, into bowling. You know that was something that we did when we were in Belgium and, and we had a lot of fun with that. It's something I actually continued uh, for a fair amount of time through high school uh, in the states. You know they have uh, actually high school bowling teams, uh, so that's that's something we were able to be competitive with. And uh, I could, I was always participating in soccer as well. Uh, but you know, for me, I, I enjoyed both, both aspects, you know, the bowling aspect and the soccer aspect. So, uh, I continued to play soccer, uh, through, through my teenage years and something that, uh, my, my, actually my dad started to do with my brother. They were, my brother's two years older than me. 
uh, they got into into refereeing uh, soccer as uh, you know something to do on the weekends uh, away from my from my brother to earn some extra money, things like that. So, you know, I uh, saw what they were doing with that. It was something that you know uh, interested me as well. The opportunity to earn some money being around the game, uh, not being confined, you know, to uh, certain retail or restaurant types of jobs. You know, uh, you know, during high school, I had friends that were doing these types of jobs where they were weren't making a lot of money and they weren't enjoying it. So. Uh, the opportunity to to get involved with the sport on a different level, uh, to be able to go out there and, and see a, a whole different aspect of the game, one that I had never even you know thought to be part of. Uh, you know, as a player, you always uh, you know are complaining about the referees. You're always looking at the referees and making judgments about them. Oh, you didn't see the right decision. You made a bad call. You're not fit enough. This and this and that. Uh, something for so for me to to go out there and do that it was it was something really at the beginning just uh, as a way to earn a little bit of extra money uh, and and still be around the game uh, so that's that's kind of how it started and then it just kind of you know progressed from there but uh, it, it was really really a cool thing it's it's shaped a, a big part of my life ever since then so do you think it's changed your perspective on the game because going from the player as to and I think every sport can 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 attest to themselves and they need to put their hand up and say and look in the mirror because this is, this is true they obviously look pointing the finger a lot of the time and obviously the referee and the assistants are only human they are going to miss things sure and I think sure. this is what uh, later on in my sporting career when a, a basketball referee is kind of changed the script on me and said obviously I make mistakes do you make mistakes in a game and I think it's Absolutely. a it's a great point to look at because no player how good or how, how or whatever level they play at is never going to make a mistake in a game because it's like well okay there's the other side of it obviously uh coming back to my point in terms of do you think it's obviously changed your perspective on obviously being the man in the middle and being in charge of 22 players? Sure. No, absolutely. It's, it's something that uh, when you, when you really think about it, you, you know, everybody watches the game as a, if you're playing, you're, you're, you're playing, you have the competitive edge. You, you only see things one way as a supporter, as a fan, you're rooting for one team. You're only seeing things one way, you know, even if you understand the laws of the game and you understand the, the decisions to be made, you're still frustrated, you're still animated, you're still, you know, you don't, you don't want the referee to make that decision regardless of, of if, if you even, even if you know it's the correct decision. Uh, so, so for me, you know, being the referee, it absolutely changed my perspective because, you know, when I first started my first few years, it was, it was nothing, you know, very serious. It wasn't until that I, until I went to college, uh, I actually got in with some guys that were, uh, doing it at a higher level, that, that we're doing it at a semi-professional level, that we're uh, meeting regularly uh, once a week or once every couple of weeks to analyze video clips, to talk about certain situations, to really delve deep into the laws and understand why the referee was making a certain decision, to talk about things like positioning, to talk about, you know, things like uh, man management and things like that, where you could really like look at it as a skill and, and an art form rather than just somebody out there blowing the whistle, throwing yellow cards, throwing red cards, running around, you know, doing things like that. You know, there's so much more that goes into it that, you know, I think the average spectator doesn't realize it's, it's a craft. And a lot of these guys that are doing it at the, at the highest level have been working on that craft the same as, as an athlete, the same as the players, you know, they're, they're training, 
you know, during the week, several hours each day, same as a player, you know, whether it's fitness training, whether it's, uh, you know, reviewing laws, whether it's uh, watching video clips, looking at different situations, uh, you know, meeting with other referees to, to discuss situations and kind of bounce ideas. What other options could the referee have had? What, what else? So, so when you really start to, to, to look behind the scenes at, at what, a referee does now naturally at the youth level you know are, are all of these referees taking this time not so much no um you know so you have to separate you know kind of the groups but it's just like athletes as well you know uh, you know once you become more invested in it you can really see uh you know what goes into it to to, to be good at it and and the more that you learn about it the better you want to be so i think it, it certainly definitely changed my perspective in that in that respect i had uh, and, and do now have a much greater respect for for the guys that are that are at the top level that are doing this uh, the sacrifices that they've made to get there. The same as the players, because you know it's something that I think you know people support the players when they make the mistakes. Do they support the referees when they make the mistakes? Eh, maybe not so much. Um, but but understanding that the same way, like you were saying to to your point about you know uh, you know to criticize a referee, well you know, have, has the player not made a bad pass? Has he not, you know, taken a bad shot, you know, at any point in the match, probably multiple times in the match, uh, you know, so, you know, naturally the referees, they're not going to get it right all the time, um, you know, but, but, but they do the best they can. They're, they're showing up to a game, you know, thinking I'm going to give it my best effort. I'm going to try and get all of these calls right. Eh, does it happen? No, but of course we're not robots. We're not perfect. So uh, definitely the, the, the perspective changes a lot as as you have a chance to really see what goes into being successful at a higher level with that. So, Matt, let's talk on that point then. Let's talk about obviously the the sacrifices that you as a referee have to make because obviously people will only see one side of the argument, like you say, in terms of the, the team that they support, and that's it. Sure. What are some sacrifices that you've had to to deal with down the years? So, for me personally. You know, I would say that I'm largely blessed in the sense that, um, you know, I haven't missed a lot of family time. Uh, you know, a lot of the commitments that I have, uh, they're, they've been, I've been fortunate that they've been around other important events uh, with my family life. Um, however, small sacrifices on the weekly, you know, in terms of training. So a lot of people uh, don't know that referees are required to pass a fitness test at minimum once a year to maintain their level. Uh, but the guys that are at the highest level are taking fitness tests sometimes once a month um, or once every other month. So the, the training that goes into it is intense training. Uh, referees at the highest level are training, you know, three, four, five days a week, um, you know, for varying amounts of time. But the time that you have to set aside for your training is obviously time away from your family. Uh, you know, the time that you're traveling to a game, you know, so for me, most of my games are within the state of Florida. Uh, but for me, I could make, I could have to travel down to Miami. For me, that's a four hour drive. I could have to travel to Tampa. That's a two hour drive. So, you know, for me to, you know, to leave in the morning, go down, you know, to do a game, to come back, I'm, I'm missing essentially the whole day. Uh, so, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, the games are being played when other events are going on. Life doesn't stop for a soccer match, naturally. Um, so so there's been moments where I've had to kind of make a decision 
you know, do I do this game, you know, or do I participate in this uh, family event, uh, you know, that could be a, a birthday, that could be a, an anniversary, that could be a, a family get together, uh, you know, different events like that, uh, you know, other, other, you know, kinds of small events. Uh, so, so it could be the day-to-day -day small sacrifice, you know, a couple hours, you know, with the wife or a couple hours out training or watching video clips or things like that you know, a Saturday spent driving to do a game, you know, doing the game and coming back is a Saturday, you know, not spent with the family or, or, you know, doing different things like that. So those are, those are sacrifices that, that you make, uh, because you, you want to be, you want to be part of it. You, you're invested in the game. Um, and you know, it's, it's something that, that, that you, you, you make the choice, you, you know, and, and, a lot of referees, I have to say this, is, is you have to have the good support system, you know. So if you talk to any referee at the higher level, um, it's impossible to do this if you don't have, you know, a support system, friends, family that, that are encouraging you, that are saying, you know, that they're not, you know, making you feel guilty for missing any kind of an event uh, as a result of your commitment. They understand that it's, uh, it's you know, kind of a, a – it's a job, but but for – for a lot of people, it, it's, it's more of a calling as well. You feel, you know, like this is something that you're passionate about. And, uh, you know, just like, you know, anything else without the referees, the game doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, you feel kind of a sense of obligation, you know, you, you want to go out there and, and give these guys, you know, the best possible game. So, you know, you have understanding people around you. It, it certainly helps in those situations. So this next question, I'm going to come on it from two perspectives now, because obviously the current climate as you saying nothing comes before sport, obviously right. with us now in what is a pandemic, where does that put, be it the supporters, the players, the referees, what kind so, of your perspective? Yeah, sure. It's, it's very interesting because, you know, I would have never imagined a situation where essentially the entire sporting world is, is shut down, right? In, in our lifetime, in our parents' lifetime, can we really imagine a situation where something like this happened. So I think it's, it's great that the seriousness of what's going on trumps, you know, the, 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 the seriousness or the, uh, you know, what, what people invest in sport. Uh, I think, I think people understand that there's, there's something much more important at stake than, you know, a, a basketball game, a soccer game, uh, you know, any kind of, any kind of sporting event that's going on. I think, you know, so I think that's important. I think, you know, sport is such a great outlet for a lot of people, you know, from their daily lives, you know. So I think it's, it's, it's a fine balance because you have a lot of people now maybe that are struggling for, you know, ways to divert their attention, you know, to kind of get their mind off of maybe their, their daily struggles. A lot of people, you know, struggling with, with their jobs now, uh, things, you know, of that nature, maybe family issues, uh, so you don't have the distractions of sports, you know, which is, which is sometimes nice to take away a lot of people's attention from, from that, even if momentarily, you know, to watch a 90 minute match, well, that's 90 minutes where you get to root for your team. Whereas maybe, you know, you're not thinking about whatever other problems you might have. So, um, you know, I think the perspective has to be that, you know, you have to take care of people first. That's the most important thing. But I think, uh, a lot of people out there are very eager to get back to, to, you know, that state of normal to, to watch their, their weekly matches, to participate in their weekly matches, uh, you know, and, and to get back to training. I'm, I'm sure the players for, for the most part are finding ways to maintain their training. Uh, 
I know that, you know, as a referee and in the referee community, uh, I know that a lot of the guys are, are still, you know, they're training, they're doing as much as they can. Um, you know, fortunately in the States, we're not officially on a total, you know, lockdown. So, you know, there's, you know, a lot of people that are making use of the local parks, you know, to go out and train a little bit and, and things like that. But uh, you just do the best you can, you, you know, as, as much as you can. So I'll put I'll put the word yet in that because obviously when this comes out it might you might be on a, I shouldn't laugh about it but you may be on a lockdown right. when the time come this comes around right yeah so yeah no 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 go ahead yeah so from that perspective then obviously when we do come back to normality do you think it gives a better sense and this is my judgment call now because I, I I don't see it changing because you're seeing hysteria and people's actions. But if people were to somehow make a 160 degree turn in terms of their behavior right. and their attitude to other people, do you think your profession will get a better overall uh, enjoyment out of the sport? I don't see it happening, so, but I'm being, I'm being yeah, a bit more yeah. positive with it. <laughs> Yeah, I think, you know, it's funny. I think, uh, you know, when when there's things like this that happen, people have a way of coming together, uh, supporting each other more. But as in the past, when we've seen different, uh, you know, uh, catastrophes, uh, whether natural disasters or you know, terrorist events or things like that, where people have come together, you know, in the end, when it returns back to a state of normalcy, I think you see you see people kind of revert to to how they were. I think uh, you know, there's always going to be a certain passion with sports, and and I don't know if you attribute it to, to a, a chemical makeup, the competitive nature of an athlete, or or, or what what you want to attribute it to. I don't think uh, you know th- these events will. You know, the next time I get on the field, you know, all of a sudden, all the all the players are going to say. Oh, great, great job, referee. You know, oh, you know, you, 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 you've done really well today. You know, uh, you know, I don't, I, I think there'll, there'll still be, you know, that competitive nature will, will still come out. That fire will, will, will come out again. And, and, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll question me. They'll, they'll challenge me, uh, you know, on, on different situations. And, and that's almost to be expected. And, um, and for what it's worth, it's almost a little bit of a, of the rush of, of refereeing, uh, you know, to, to have that sense of, uh, you know, you know that these players, they, they want it so badly uh, that they're going to challenge you. And, and, and so you want to make sure that you're doing the best you can and, and that you're on your game for them. So, uh, but in terms of, you know, them, them being nicer to us in terms of the fans appreciating us, uh, you know, I, I don't expect that to change too much. I think uh, once, once we get back to it, you know, it'll be the same guys, you know, uh, you know, asking, asking for calls or, you know, telling us we're blind or, or, you know, things like that. Yeah. And do you think from that basis then, Matt, that your performance as a refereeing staff, it doesn't matter if you're a referee or one of the assistants, sure, you're cr- over-critiqued at times because obviously the, the, the management or the managerial coaches are going to kind of look, well, you, the result's not gone our way because of you as opposed to blaming it, their players at times. Sure. Well, you know, there's always the discussion amongst referees, you know, when when a coach will come and say that your decision cost you the game and and you know amongst referees you know the natural inclination is to say well it's surely it's not the five shots that your forward missed or you know the uh the bad crosses or your lack of tactical instruction to you know whatever 
you know, it's, it's not any of those reasons. It's surely the one decision that we made that, that had the, the great outcome on the game. But as a referee, you kind of accept that that's the way it's going to be. Is it right? Perhaps not. You know, there's people that are going to say that it's not right. That's not the way it should be. Um, and you always hope that, uh, that people will understand or accept kind of the responsibility uh, you know, for themselves. But I think human nature dictates, and you see it, you know, in different aspects of life, it's always easier to blame other people than it is to blame yourself. And uh, so as a referee, you understand that that criticism is part of it, that there's always going to be people that, that'll feel that you're accountable for the results. And you, you can't really do a lot to change that in the sense of, uh, you know, it's up going out and, and, and doing your best. Now, there's a lot more transparency across all levels of sport um, in the sense of, you know, now a lot of this, especially with, with, with soccer, the, uh, the VAR, uh, which is, you know, uh, you know, well, of course, in England. <laughs> Well, let's let's not talk about England because you know that's that's something. Uh, well, as as a referee, uh, you know, we a lot of people have some discrepancies with how it's how it's being done in 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 the Premier League. But by and large, by and large, I'll say, um, you know, it's changing it. If 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 not always for the better, there's at least a bit more transparency to to kind of see. Okay, what are the referees thinking about when they're making these decisions? And uh, there's more education being put out there. So uh, while the, the fishbowl becomes smaller, I would say, as a result of, you know, the instant replay, I think there's a lot more education as well uh, for the common fan to understand more of the decisions that are being made. And um, I think overall that helps, you know, how people look at, at what referees do, um, you know, even if they don't always agree with it, because you know, you can have certain situations and, you know, unfortunately, because of the way that the laws are in, in soccer, particularly, you have some situations where you might get, you know, 100 of the, the best referees in the world and, and 50 of them will say, well, it should go this way. And 50 of them will, will say it should go this way. There's not always that, that black and white. Of course, there's the gray area. Um, you know, there are judgment decisions. So, uh, you know, you always hope that, you know, as technology becomes more prevalent in the game or in sport in general that it allows people to become more educated it gives them more of an insight um on you know what's going on and and even if they don't always agree at least they understand it a little bit better do you think then obviously you brought it up matt with the var being in the premier league yeah do you think the referees in this country is used it as an excuse then to not have to make that judgment call at times i'm not gonna i'm not gonna throw all of them under the bus but some right someone you do watch it's like oh i'm gonna go to my fourth official to him to make the decision based right. on making the the human call that's on the field so, right so my perspective on the vr and obviously different people are going to have different perspectives on it my perspective is that um you know it should be you you shouldn't have somebody uh, who's not on the field making the final decision, which is uh, what has happened a little bit, you know, in England with with their VAR. It's it's been more of a situation where whoever is the the VAR is is making a final decision with certain certain match critical decisions. And I think whereas other countries have allowed the referee to review an on field monitor 
and then they make the final decision. You know, so for example, uh, the referees in the United States, they uh, when they have the VAR, the VAR essentially is there to recommend a review if they feel that the referee has made a clear and obvious error. So it's then at that point for the referee to go to an on-field monitor to look at the different replays and then make an, a final decision. But it's the referee on the field who makes the final decision, not so much the VAR who's, who's not you know, there on the field. So I think where, in my opinion, where England has kind of uh, you know, gone astray with the process of VAR is, is kind of taking the decision out of the hands of the referee who's, who's on the field. I think, uh, I think, you know, when you're, you don't, when you're, when you're the referee on the field, you, you want to be able to make that decision for yourself. You're, you're the one who has the best feel for the match. And, and I think, uh, that's where it's gone a little bit astray with, with England's use of the VAR. Do you think then, from that point then, do you think this, I won't call it an over-reliance on an artificial intelligence, but do you right. think it makes puts more onus on you, the referee, to be very over-critical of your performance after the fact? Well, I would say that the best referees are over-critical of their performance anyways. I think, uh, you know, we're taught to, to, to self-evaluate. I think uh, you have to be honest with yourself. That's one of the things that they teach you as you progress uh, up the ranks. They really want you to be able to go back and watch your match and, and really identify moments where you could improve and, and, and uh, decisions that you could have done better or, or alternate decisions. What, what, what other options did you have besides that decision that could have yielded maybe a better result later on in the match? So, I would say, does, does VAR make you overly critical? I don't think it makes you overly critical um, as a referee. I think it, it really gives maybe uh, the outsider an opportunity to be more critical uh, because now, now there's people that say, well, if you're still getting it wrong with the technology, then mm -hmm. there's a problem. And, and part of the problem also is is not so much that the referee is getting it wrong or that the VAR is getting it wrong is, is people's understanding of the interpretations of the laws. And unfortunately, sometimes that comes down to a broadcaster who is interpreting a law maybe incorrectly and influencing public opinion. Uh, you know, whereas, you know, if you're a referee, you can look at it and you can say, this is being done correct. This is being interpreted correctly. But even amongst the referee community, Oftentimes when they make changes to the laws or they uh, vary the interpretations and, and lately probably the biggest example I can give is uh, with, with the handball, uh, which has been a big cause of controversy. Uh, the interpretations have, have changed with the laws over the last four or five years. They've, they've changed it to seemingly make it easier, but maybe in some cases also making it more difficult for the average fan to understand what constitutes a handball, what doesn't constitute a handball. And then, of course, the other decision is, is the offside. And, uh, you know, the offside, when you freeze frame it, there's been a lot of decisions like that that have come under fire. Um, and there's, there's obviously a lot of people that will argue, you know, the frames per second and, you know, you know a shoulder versus a hand versus a foot versus a head versus a neck and, and all these different things. And, and, are you so are you so minutely analyzing 
um, a play in a game that happens so fast, you know, should we be, are we, are we losing a little bit the integrity of, of the match at the risk of having it so perfect? You know, it's, 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 you know, it's quite an interesting argument. I don't, but in terms of, you know, back to your original question, does it, does it make the referee more critical? Uh, I, I don't think, I don't think so in that sense. No. So you raise a good point there, Matt, in terms of the handball. Right. Be it obviously is going to go from game to game. Sure. Obviously for the referee and the players, isn't it sometimes difficult, the consensus of the rule, be it, I think, what is it, six feet, it's sometimes not a handball. Right. Oh, so, how, how are you supposed to get out the way out the way of the ball if somebody kicks the ball? So, I'm talking deliberately. Sometimes. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, so basically, and, and without like going, you know, largely in depth into like specifics of the law and stuff like that, you know, you you have certain situations where where now, and, and this is what's hard to understand is what's viewed as a handball for an attacking player is not necessarily viewed as a handball for a defending player. Uh, because one of the things, one of the shifts of the focus is that they don't want any uh, goal or an attacking play to be started as a result of handball, whether intentional or not. So then, you know, then that's, that's something that maybe some people don't know, because now at this point, if you have, if the ball touches an attacker's hand accidentally or on purpose, that leads to a goal scoring opportunity or to a goal, we're we're instructed to call that with a defender. It's a little bit different. Now it's about where the defender's hand is. We talk about, um, does the defender make themselves bigger? Is their hand in a natural position? Um, you know, have, have they, you know, put themselves in a position where they know they're going to get a takeaway space from, from the attacking player by putting their hand there. Um, so there's different criteria that you have to really consider. And it's all at a split second. Now with the VAR, we have a chance to go back and look at it. But on the field, when, you know, it's, it's, it's all the different criteria that you're running through your head and you have to try and make the decision. Okay, you know, was the defender in a natural playing position? And you have to evaluate, you know, a stance, uh, you know, a player stance when they're running. You know, sometimes their hand is away from their body, but was it a natural position for what they were doing? When a player jumps, right, to make a header, they jump, you know, they use their arms for balance, right? So their arm is naturally up and away from their body, right? So is that, does that become a natural position, right? So you have to kind of like evaluate these different things. Some people might say, well, their arm is away from their body, so they're making themselves, themselves bigger. That's true. But is their arm in a natural playing position for what they're doing at that moment in time? It's a lot of different criteria. You know, people don't always consider the different elements that go into it. Um, and that's where it kind of gets a little bit fuzzy in, in that respect. Do you think that one, that one's a slightly more clear cut one than obviously the, the, the one with offsides? Because making it that much of uh, you could go like completely going away from traditionalism and, and obviously no person other than a robot is going to be able to see that instance of a microsecond a difference right yeah i think well i think with the offside unfortunately or fortunately however you want to look at it the offside i think is is the one that's the most clear cut in in the sense that like you know when you i mean if if you assume that the video is exactly correct you know that that they're able to freeze at the exact moment the ball is played and they're able to 
you know, match up with their lines exactly where everybody's positioned. If you assume that all this, according to the technology, is correct, then it's very simple. You know, um, if, you know, a, a player, you know, is, is beyond the, the second to last defender with any part of the body that's eligible to play the ball, then, then they're offside, you know. And, and there's, you, you know, whether it's a toe, you know, whether it's as much as a toe or, you know, or, or you know, 10 yards, it, it doesn't really matter in that respect, offside is offside. Now, you know, there's people that'll look at it and say, well, that, that kind of takes away the spirit of the game because, because for, for so many years, we've played this on the judgment of the assistant referee to make that decision. And now you're, you're putting it to such a, a fine freeze frame and you're saying somebody that maybe, you know, even as much as three or four years ago before VAR even became a thing, you know, would be seemingly in line with uh, with a defender and and you know have a an atta- attacking opportunity is now being called off sides by as much as a toe or you know uh, half of a hand or a shoulder or or something like that. Um, so I think that frustrates people a little bit. Uh, you know that that the game has has been brought to this level um, at. at at the sake of what the accuracy of the decisions, the money that goes into it, all that it's, it's all a big part of it. Um, you know, so different aspects, obviously. Um, but I think, uh, unfortunately, because so much goes into it because of the financial investment by, by everybody, you know, the, the, the fans who invest, uh, the, you know, the teams, the owners, uh, everything that goes into sports at this point, you know, you want to do as much as you can to get the call, right you know, even at, even at the risk of, uh, you know, taking away a little bit the spirit of the game. So, so would you say, I know it's a difficult question to answer, but is it on the players themselves, be it midfielders, you name it, whatever position they right. play, to adapt and obviously master the rules in terms of to being able to maximise where the, the game is going in terms of being able to have that timing that is like, boom, it's, yes, you need to take a little edge off, Right. We have right. to produce yeah, that absolutely. result. I think, I think, um, you know, it, it, it's always incumbent upon the, the players to adapt. I, I think um, as the game evolves, they have to also evolve. And I, and I know uh, that teams are now hiring uh, consultants, you know, to come in and, and really like, essentially coach the players on laws of the game and how the laws of the game are changing so that they can understand what they can do uh, and what they can't do and how they can really push the envelope, you know, for the max possible advantage. Uh, and, and the players, you, you, you see them now, they really, they live on the edge and, and you're, you're never going to create a situation where the players are not going to be offside because, because at the end of it, you know, things like that is, is the attacking player, they're, they're conditioned, they're trained to be right there on the edge and, and hope that they've timed it correctly, hope that they've made that run perfectly in line, um, you know, even at the risk of it being called back. Uh, you know, I think because, of, because that advantage of, of being right there uh, gives them that chance you know, to, to put themselves in the best position, I think they're always going to push the boundaries in, in that respect. I don't think, I don't foresee a situation where like you would see an attacking player that would purposely stay off of, you know, you know, their, their line a couple yards intentionally and have to try and make up that ground. They're always going to be right on the edge and, 
and you know if if they if they get it they get it and if they don't well then they reset and they try again um but but i think uh definitely it, it it's on the players and the teams to try and uh you know coach coach the players in in how the game is evolving to to you know prepare them for success and now obviously with with you being a french teacher now i'm going to go slide yeah. off on a tangent sure, a little sure. bit yeah yeah do you think the language well, it's not really about it. The language that you've been able to acquire, be it French, English, and, and be it where you live in the United States, is very right. Hispanic. Sure. Do you think that's been beneficial to your refereeing career? Yeah, absolutely. I think so. Uh, you know, for for me, and I, I don't know if you remember, but my mom is actually uh, Colombian, so uh, so I, I do speak Spanish, uh, you know, pretty well in addition to, to English and to French. And, you know, there's a huge Hispanic community here. So uh, the ability to, to speak multiple languages on the field absolutely plays a part. Uh, as a referee, you know, a lot of what you have to do, naturally your decisions matter, but a lot of what you, what, what you do as a successful referee is, is making sure that you're able to sell your decisions. Um, you know, because, you know, you can have a correct decision. If the players disagree with it, you have to be able to convince them that it's the correct decision. You have to be able to get them on your side to sell. Uh, and uh, the ability to communicate with them in their native language is going to help you a lot of times uh, to manage to manage them um, and uh, to help, uh, you know, kind of create a rapport with the players. I think that's that's the biggest thing, uh, uh, you know, something that you'll use, you, you'll hear referees say a lot is, is uh, the rapport with the players and when you watch when you watch referees the guys that do it the best you'll see in some in one frame they could be yelling at a player and then in the next frame they're laughing with a player and that ability to have that relationship on the field um is is huge to the success of a referee and and if you're able if you're not able to communicate with the players then obviously that makes it more challenging so, uh, so the, for me, the ability to, to speak uh, multiple languages has absolutely played a huge part for me uh, in, in my success, absolutely. And has it helped you further to be able to progress, be it to, to, to I think I've seen a picture, of you, it's been a while back now, um, of you being able to do that, and I think it was an international tournament. Is that the, has it been having those additional languages been beneficial towards that? Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, one of the things, you know, referees are evaluated on, on a lot of different levels. And uh, I think, you know, like anything else, and, and it's, it's one of the things I try and, uh, you know, tell my students is, is you want to make yourself more marketable in, in any aspect of life. And, uh, you know, I always try and try and, you know, encourage them, you know, that, that their study of language, you know, can, can really make them more marketable in, in any field that they want to get into. So for me as a referee, you know, uh, for 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 in terms of uh opportunities that are that are given to me um i think you know that's that's one aspect that that definitely helps me uh in that respect the the ability to to be able to speak the the three languages uh to manage different games so we have you know naturally uh teams that might come uh to participate in international events from south america you know we have teams that are coming from canada at times uh as well so to be able to participate uh, in those matches, it certainly gives me a little bit of an advantage. Now, you know, you could speak 20 languages and if you're, if you're not any good on the field, you know, you're not going to get any of those games. So it's, it's all, it's one piece of the puzzle, but, mm -hmm. but it's a piece nonetheless, right? You know, if you're trying to, if you're trying to complete the puzzle, all the pieces matter. And, and that's one of them 
that that certainly helps as well sure and and do do you think your immersion in europe has helped obviously for the your your soccer career both as a player and as a a match official because of obviously the standard that is probably associated from your neck of the woods to european sport sure i think I think uh you know my time in europe was was hugely impactful and and influential to me in, in a lot of different aspects of of my life uh I would say as it relates to 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 soccer and and becoming a referee you know being being in europe you know uh and seeing the passion that exists for for soccer uh it's not one that always existed in america and uh the sport continues to grow here um you know every year the sport is getting bigger and bigger but uh the passion that 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 Europeans have for the sport is is unrivaled i think maybe with south americans might might be the you know the the comparison but in terms of the us for for soccer um that passion always hasn't always existed in the same way so being over there being immersed and and seeing you know the passion that exists for the sport um you know understanding a little bit you know uh it 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 has certainly helped me you know transition over here um as the game has grown here as a you know as a referee to really understand you know like you know all that goes into it i think it's certainly you know been been a valuable tool to me to understand more of of you know how important this stuff is for for all of those who are involved and my penultimate question to you then Matt, uh, before we wrap up the show then if you had to referee doesn't matter be be in the center circle or or be on the touch touch line who would you want to referee dead or alive oh boy huh that's a question and a half huh um you know for me i think uh i mean i'd have to probably go to present time uh i think one of the coolest matches to referee would be um you know and this would go back a couple of years uh the classical uh madrid and barcelona uh you know when you have you know two of what i would consider the game's all-time greats in in ronaldo and messi uh you know playing you know together on the same match i uh on the same pitch i feel like that would be one of the you know kind of the iconic games to be able to referee i think uh you know the atmosphere in either stadium you know whether it was in madrid whether it's in barcelona uh i think that that would be a game of all games you know i think it would be a uh, one of those experiences that you would never forget about you know i think that would be a uh, very very cool yeah and my final question before we wrap up the show is if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to t- to take away what would that be So I guess to summarize uh it is you know uh I think uh we could say you know the opportunities uh you know that exist through sport you know are not always uh the most obvious ones I think uh you know we talked about at the very beginning we said you know our paths you know were not ones that we might have ever thought of you know uh when we were young young kids but uh but it's but they have both been paths in sport that have you know led us to to a lot of great moments in our lives i would say 
uh, a lot of great relationships that we've built, a lot of great memories that we have, a lot of great opportunities to see and do different things. So I would say, you know, you know, you, the summary, I guess, is, is always, you know, look at, at sport as, as a great opportunity to, to see and do a lot of different things in your life. Um, and, uh, and, you know, take, take it for, for everything that you can, that you can get from it. Because I think, uh, I think, you know, in so many different ways, it can, it can provide, you know, great opportunities and great moments in your life. So, so once again, Matt, thanks again for coming on the Mindset Athlete Podcast. Absolutely. No, thank you for having me. It was, it was a, a great honor, a great pleasure to be here. Oh, the pleasure was all mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friend and do let Matt and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging me on Instagram at jamesoroberts11. And again, you can do the same on Twitter and Facebook. And if you had any additional questions, don't hesitate to shoot them over as well. And finally, don't forget to check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk and click on the tab resources. But not forgetting, I've also started a new Facebook group, especially for the podcast, which you can find by typing in the Mindset Athlete. And also not forgetting, and one especially for the amputees listening to this podcast, I have recently created a Facebook group called The Amputee Coach, Fitness and Nutrition for Amputees to help you lose 10 to 30 pounds. So make sure to check out the links. They will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category general. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.